All right, everybody. It's Friday. I don't know about um, where you guys live, but the last week and a half weather here has been, I think we've had one day of sun, that was yesterday. It's been cloudy and rainy every day, seems like for a week and a half now. It's getting, uh, it's getting kind of old pretty quick. I'd rather have a little bit of snow every day than this 40, 50 degree drizzle all day long. Nothing you can do in it, but it affects everyone's moods, I think, too, so. Um, decent number of questions this week, so let's, let's get right to them. Um, here's a, was a, this wasn't really a question, it was a comment in email, but I thought it was, um, I thought it was an interesting comment, so I thought I would just talk about it on the podcast. Sorry, my glasses are all foggy. Uh, so I may have mentioned this to you, I bought a Tesla Model 3 about a year ago. I've driven quite a few fancy cars fast because of my life, but this is my absolute favorite. It is astoundingly fast and extremely cool. I totally love it. The only negative, that only goes 300 miles on a charge, so I can't take it on long trips. But I rarely take long trips and have another car for that. Net-net, as soon as these things have a 600-mile range, it's game over for gasoline. Huge demand for natural gas utilities, two for charging, but internal bus and convention might have a pain or toast. That meant we buy oil is struggling. Um, go buy a Model 3 and see what you think. Outrageously cool. Um, <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I don't think that uh, that may happen, but I think we're probably 20, 30 years away from that happening. So I don't think that it reflects anything with the price of oil right now. Um, the, to build out the infrastructure alone for the charging stations um, would be incredible. Uh, and I don't think there's any. Um, Realistic plan for one of these batteries, or I mean, this you know, these electric batteries are toxic, and you know, it goes to the thing I've always said, I've always claimed that there is no green energy, every energy source has um, significant, not significant, every green energy source has environmental impacts that are negative, you know, the big windmills they kill birds and I'm you know eventually you kill enough birds with these massive wind farms I don't know what the ecological effect is going to be but birds are part of the ecology and killing millions of birds every year um, you know it, it, it's going to have an impact uh, electric power you know you generate it with natural gas and then you have to figure out what to do with these these batteries when they were out because they're toxic solar panels they're toxic for the environment they don't have a very long life what do we do when they were out? We got to replace those. Where do we put those? Can't put them in landfills. So every every source of energy has its downfalls. Um, I I could argue, and I think I would argue, that natural gas is the cleanest. And if we could develop natural gas cars, that would be the best. Because if you think about it, take your electric vehicle. Well, we got to drill the gas out of the ground. We got to put it in a pipeline to a power plant. That's got to then convert it to electricity, go across the power lines to charge that battery. So if we just had electric gas cars, we could cut out two steps. You can ship natural gas through pipelines. You wouldn't have to change much of the current gas stations. 
to, in my mind, that's the cleanest energy source for automobiles, buses, trucks, whatever. You do have some hydrogen vehicles out there. You do have some natural gas burning like city buses. But I think that would be the, the best option, the cheapest option, because the infrastructure is already there. You would just be changing from gasoline to natural gas or liquefied natural gas. Or however, I don't know the science of it, however it would work. You wouldn't have to build out this infrastructure, these charging stations. So either way, I think the, the changeover still is good for natural gas, right? Because if you're starting this changeover, you're going to need more and more natural gas to power these power to, for the electricity source to power these vehicles. Um, you know, oil is, I'll, I'll have, it'll be interesting to look it up. What percentage of oil is used in gasoline? Um, instead of in diesel and stuff like that. Uh, you know, natural gas is not, you know, we just, uh, the stats were just out today that uh, electric vehicle demand in China fell about 40, almost 50% year over year. So China's not switching over anytime soon, and China's population is growing like a weed, and they're driving more and more gas-fired cars every year. So th that I think that scenario may happen, but I think we're maybe three, four, five decades out from that. So I don't think it has any price at all right now um, on, the, on the current price of oil. I mean, even Tesla's revenues are down 8% year over year. You know, Tesla, is, it's still not this massive hyper growth company. And honestly, the, I thought the vehicle they put out the other day, I mean, you know, I think the <laughs> unbreakable glass and some guy with a not strong arm <laughs> broke both of them. I mean, that's it's 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 like it'd be like doing a major overhaul or major new operating system rollout for Microsoft and getting that blue screen to death on your computer. I mean that that's how bad that was. That can't aspire to confidence. And you know we still have promises that have been given over a year ago with Tesla that haven't come true. Where's the truck you say we were going to have? Where's the the other model vehicle that was supposed to be a a game changer and it's at best a niche vehicle so you know and 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 now as far as tesla goes now they have the the majors have caught up and they have a flood of cars coming to the market that are electric and you know we're talking bmws and stuff like that we're not just talking you know priuses so you know i don't know i don't i don't see that scenario happening for a very 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 long time someone's got to build out all those charging stations across the U.S. And that's, if you look at all the gas stations, uh, it's going to be a very, very long time. So that I, that's my thought on that. Um, with the emphatic comments Sweeney made during oral arguments, can one make the case that the Washington Mutual case lawsuit just got a lot stronger, thus the comments should be elevated to reflect? Um... My problem with the Commons and uh, Stevens was in um, Washington, D.C. giving a speech today. Craig Stevens, uh, he must be on the speaking circuit right now. Craig Phillips, I'm sorry, not Stevens. Craig Phillips. Um, and he said, basically, it was you know put on Twitter that he, saw, he said, uh, you know, that um, 
the commons going to survive, but it's going to be massively diluted. And the preferred shareholders should be made a full. So in, it, to me, I still, I, I, my investing, what I'm not telling anyone to do, but for me, I'm probably 90, 95% preferred right now. I think they're the safer bet. Um, you know, depending on the outcome of the lawsuits, depending what settlement's done, you know, if the Supreme Court, uh, December 13th is the big day. Um, um, 13th to the 15th is usually when the Supreme Court announces what cases they're going to listen to. So, I mean, and then Lambeth slapped them down the other day. And I just think that there's so much uncertainty around the common that I just want to be in the preferreds. I want to be at the, in the, on the equity food chain. I want to be as high as I can behind the government because I know that whatever residuals is left, we're going to get treated fair first. So that's, you know, it's, and not, nothing that's happened has really changed my mind on that. Um, the only thing is, based on what has happened, I've become more convinced that a settlement is eventual, that court cases are going to go against the government, and that that is going to force a um, settlement. And I, I do believe, there's a lot of people saying, now oh, the government is not settling before there's some sort of litigation ruling against them uh, because they need the political cover, Mnuchin and Calabria, need the political cover in order to not be accused of enriching their hedge fund friends and things like that, advisors. And I do think there's significant uh, value to that theory. Um, you know, if they lose, then they're, 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 they just shrug their shoulders and say, hey, this wasn't our policy. We didn't enact it. We didn't operate this. We came to office and followed them. That's what, and that's what Clary says. I followed the status. I followed the statute. We've done exactly everything we were required to do by law since we got here. We lost this court case based on the actions of the previous administration. And now we need to settle this. And that's, that's great political cover. And once you lose in court, you can't wipe out the shareholders, right? They can't say we're going to put in receivership now. That would be a whole other round of lawsuits. And, and the judges would probably lose their shit at that point. So, I mean, I, I just I think that is totally valid. So, so what does that mean then? Well, you know, Sweeney's got her gig going. They got, Sweeney has another hearing. Uh, no, her ruling. They had the hearing. Her ruling should be out. She indicated that her decision was ostensibly written and she was filling in the blanks at the hearing. And given her hostility towards the government at the hearing, I don't think it went well for them. They basically called the government up, like it was a mob, that they behaved like the mob in taking all the profits without giving anything to the shareholders. That's, that's, that's pretty harsh language for a, a judge in the D.C. takings court to use to the Treasury and FHA lawyers, I'm sorry, to FHA lawyers, and Lambreth taking the same tone with Treasury, saying that them not wanting to turn over documents raises more questions about their actions. He basically told Treasury, you're sketchy as fuck. So, you know, 
we could hear, I mean, you know, it's, it's, these judges, they don't operate on a timeline. So, you know, I doubt we hear from Sweeney um, before the end of the year with the holidays and everyone goes on break and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't think we do. I hopefully would like to hear in January or February of next year if her decision is basically written already and shouldn't be too much else to do on it based on what went on in those hearings. So if she dismisses the, the, the government's case of motion uh, and, and remands her for trial, then Lambreth is already in front of them. Um, and now if you go to the Supreme Court, the latest you'll know from them is June. That's when they release their decisions. So, you know, I think a win before Sweeney means now we're going to court in three separate places and we're going to court because we've won. We got the Fifth Circuit, we got Lambus being remanded back to him, and now Sweeney says we're going to trial. So that's three straight wins for shareholders. And honestly, if the... I don't know the advantage or not to the to the Supreme Court. Take, well, I guess, if the, I guess, yes, the huge advantage is if the Supreme Court takes it up, then I think every other court case just stalls, Right? Because if you're the Supreme Court and you take it up and you're ruling on the validity of the net worth sweep, if you declare it illegal, then everything else in all those other cases immediately changes. So I don't know if we're going to see rulings or not. I think Sweeney's going to have to do something. Sweeney's, going to, Sweeney's not ruling on net worth sweep. She's saying that defendants, have, I'm sorry, plaintiffs had met, have met the, 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 met the threshold for a trial. So that's what she's ruling. So she can still issue her ruling, even if it's going before the Supreme Court. Because all she's saying is we're going to have a trial. She's not making a ruling on the facts. She's saying that the government did not present a pervasive case to have this dismissed outright. That this deserves a trial based on the evidence and discovery um, provided by plaintiffs. So she can still issue her ruling. So you have three rulings, three positive rulings in a row. Assuming Sweeney takes, assuming Sweeney rules for us, you could have you know whatever evidence you're hearing Lambeth has coming up if he if he rules in favor, and then you have the Supreme Court saying we're going to hear this case. I think all those are very positive for shareholders, and every single one of those gives the government a um, gives the government cover. To do what they want to do. And now, you know, so Lambeth can take this fifth court decision now. And he can use that in his ruling. If Sweeney rules it needs to go to trial because the government did, you know, A, B, C, D, and D. He can use part of her ruling and his now. So now you have the latest rulings are all positive for shareholders. So future rulings, right, because everything's precedent in judge land. So future rulings will come off those. So the government has to overcome the past hurdle and the current hurdle. Which makes it a lot harder. So I think as frustrating as it is, and trust me, no one's more maddeningly frustrated than I am about this. It's just been way too long and it's just been so ridiculous. Um, I think that... Um, I, I think we're, we're, we're much closer to some really positive news than people think. 
Um, I think people keep waiting for that big pop where you know the, the common goes up three bucks and the preferreds go you know the fifty dollar preferreds go to thirty five or forty. I think we're getting closer every day to that. You know, I think that if these last three rulings and the, the only time that the stock sinks right now is when Calabria talks about when they're going to exit. Well, the common and the preferred are going to be where they're going to be well before it exits conservatorship. Once the consent decree is signed and once they start operating under consent decree, the stocks are going to start trading. Because people are going to know this is the capital levels we need to get to. People are going to know that this is what they're going to have to raise. This is probably how they're going to do it. People start making accurate assumptions. You know, if it's Q2, beginning Q3, Q3 next year, you'll have a Supreme Court ruling. You'll have a Sweeney ruling. So, you know, it's getting there. It's, it's admittedly painful, but it's, it's getting there. And, and all the news lately has been really, really good for the government having to settle this. You know, if the government kept winning, they wouldn't have to settle with shareholders. Or if they did, they could drive a damn hard bargain. But they haven't won. They've been losing, which makes it a lot harder to play hardball when you're losing a court on a regular basis right now. Um, hypothetically speaking, if you had just discovered CHK today and began digging the financial potential, would you make a sizable investment? In other words, knowing what you know now, when your investment thesis allocation would be much different versus a couple years ago, the next three questions are CHK. So I'm going to read off all three of them. Um, and then... Um, I'm going to read all three of them and then just kind of talk about CHK. And I think because I'll answer all the questions that instead of just kind of doing it piecemeal. Um, hello, Todd. My question is CHK. Is CHK different than the situation that happened to Breitburn? I just get a little nervous that CHK due to what was originally thought with Breitburn and with their bankruptcy. Any differences, similar pros versus cons? You could elaborate. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so Breitburn, Breitburn was the one that we did really well in uh, and then we did really bad in. Um, you know, our first investment, we ended up you know, just losing a little bit, even though they went Chapter 11 because we had all the distributions for all those years. Uh, and then subsequent purchases did not do well at all. Uh, but there are significant differences between Breitburn and um, Chesapeake Energy. So let's start with just the, the overall what's going on. So in Breitburn fired Chapter 11 in 2016 when oil prices went from 100 to 30. And there was a wave of Chapter 11s across the space. No one was prepared for oil prices to crash like that. Um, that's the equivalent today. Oil is about 60 today. That's the equivalent of oil dropping about $17 a share in the next couple of months. There's no reason to expect that to happen. There's nothing on the horizon that suggests oil is going to fall precipitately in the next couple months. <clears throat> I don't think you can make the argument at all that it's dramatically overvalued or that it's expensive. Uh, you could have argued in 2016 that $100 oil was a little fluffy, a little, you know. So the basic reason that Breitbart and others went under <clears throat> was because when oil crashed like that, nobody was lending in the oil patch, to the oil patch. Nobody wanted to touch it. Nobody was buying assets. Breitbart tried to buy, sell some assets. Nobody was buying because nobody was getting financing. You know, any deal would have had to been a pure cash deal. 
Nobody was getting debt to buy these operators. No one was able to issue stock to do it because everyone's share prices were crashing. It was a perfect storm, and Breitbart got caught in the middle of it. We don't have that today. We have what we have today is, you know, CHK is selling assets, and they have interested buyers in them. The Haynesville is gonna 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 sell. We don't have people just running away from the sector. We have consolidation in the sector. There's there's M and A deals happening all the time in the oil patch right now, and they're not distressed deals. You know the Occidental deal that was not a distressed deal. Exxon Mobil is selling twenty five billion in assets all overseas, so they can focus on the U S. With what they want to do in Texas, and oh by the way, that's where you know CHK has been drilling for oil now after the after the Wild Horse acquisition. So the the energy environment is very, very, very different than it was. They'll find a buyer for that Haynesville. And when they do, obviously depending on how it's structured, I'd be willing to bet the going concern notice magically goes away. <clears throat> Even if they don't sell it. You got to remember what they said. They may, in the next year, violate it if they don't get waivers. They'll get the waivers. They're very close to being cash flow positive. Free cash flow positive. <clears throat> Breitbart at that time was hemorrhaging cash. And then, obviously looking back at it, was only at the levels they got to because the oil was going sky high. It wasn't because of any incredibly superior operating performance on their part. It was because... You know, there it was a rising tide. Oil's been in this fifty dollars, sixty dollar range for seems like six to eight months right now. The US is still pumping, but we have several other scenarios that look to supply a supply crunch in oil. You have the Bakken's been basically flat since twenty seventeen. Hasn't gone out much at all. Their oil per well isn't going anywhere. And their overall production over the last two or three years is, 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 is up marginally. We know, based on other earnings, other companies, that you know, shale beats deep water drilling. For cost, for speed of recovery, amount of investment needed, it, it laps it, meaning it's that much better. So we know other companies are canceling plans or for deep water, deep water drills to focus on the shell patch. So that supply is going to come off the market in the next year, year and a half. It's going to start coming off the market. And it'll be a dramatic drop off. It'll be dramatic. And... You know, there's this insinuation that shale drillers can just flip a switch and start pumping oil tomorrow. And it's, it's not, it's quicker than a deep water well, of course, but it's not, it's not like flipping a switch. So, I, I don't, the, the economics of oil don't support, don't support 
significantly lower prices. If oil prices crashed down to 17 bucks a barrel, the only reason it would be would be because of a, a dramatic and sharp supply. Uh, um, I'm sorry, a dramatic and sharp demand drop, meaning significant U.S. recession. You know, uh, huge recession throughout Europe and Asia. I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, one or two quarters. And it would be a significant one, not one of these, oh, we get negative growth of, you know, 0.2% for two quarters. That, that's, you know, to me, that's, given how much those numbers are revised, it's not really a recession. They'll call it one because, you know, there's nothing the media loves more than any negative news to harp on. They try to scare the shit out of you. But I'm talking like 5 6% negative growth for two quarters. And then the U.S. goes into a large recession. That could cause oil prices to drop like that. But again, there's no sign of that in the cards either. Unemployment, so look at it, still at historical lows. Personal income adjusted for inflation is at an all-time high. Retail sales, all-time high. Auto sales, all-time high. The only sector that isn't at all-time highs is home building. And that's just slowly climbing. And that's, you know, there's, there's, there's not enough inventory of homes to suggest there's even likely going to be a housing crash. I think quite the opposite from 2006 when we had 11 months supply of homes. Okay, normal, you know, what's considered equilibrium is six. I think right now we're at four, four and a half nationally. Some places are at two, three percent. But there's people waiting to buy homes that just, Home prices drop five six percent. They're going to be jumping on them. So there's there's no you know housing uh, homeowners equity all time high. It was nowhere it was, it was it was nowhere near this in two thousand six before the housing crash. There people had no equity in their homes. I mean none negative equity. They had negative equity in their homes. Now it's at an all time high. Consumers balance sheet is the best it's been in a long time. So there's no. There's nothing that suggests an, uh, a recession in the U.S. in the future. And I'm talking the next year. Barring two things. Some catastrophic government decision. You know, Trump has a tantrum and saying, we're, t- we're, we're tariffing every Chinese good at 60% starting 30 days. China retaliates in the U.S. That could push us over the edge. But as we've seen, the, go, the role play is to announce them, roll them back. Announce them, get a little bit, roll them back. So that's the game plan. That's how they're going to do it. And I think Trump's advisors are smart enough, that, and he knows that, you know, you pull something like that off, you start a full square trade war for the election, you're just rolling the dice. Or some sort of significant terrorist event or war, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not talking... USA, Iraq, I'm talking like Saudi Arabia and Iran and Israel gets involved. There's some massive, large-scale regional conflict. That could upset enough things and that could cause a recession. But then in that scenario, let's assume it's a large Middle Eastern warfare. What happens to the price of oil? 
How long, how long do you think it goes from 60 to 100? And every one of these U.S. shell drillers starts just printing money. I don't think you're going to see Russia-China conflict. I don't think you're going to see Japan in a conflict. I don't think you're going to see a armed, large armed conflict in Europe. So the only place that scenario plays out is really in the Middle East, and that would benefit everything we have for oil. Or South America, and honestly, I mean, <laughs> be dismissive, but, you know, it's whatever, it's South America. It's Brazil, right? Yeah, there'd be some disruption, but, you know, they're not a significant source of anything vital to the U.S. economy. So I think the only real scenario that causes a recession in the next year, I, 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 you know, you could have a large-scale coordinated terrorist attack on several cities that, you know, it scares people into something. Um, but again, I don't think that's likely. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it possible Trump, Trump loses his minds and decides to start clearing 70% tariff on things and other countries start? Yeah, it's possible. I don't think it's likely. <clears throat> but I think right now, that's all they have on the economy to try and scare people, right? I mean, we're still, they're still talking recession every single day, but there's not a single data point <clears throat> that points to it. You know, oh, this is slowing, this is slowing. Well, yeah, nothing goes up in a straight line. No economic indicator goes up, goes from lower left to upper right on a steady basis. They all have periods where they flatline. Oh, God forbid they dip a little. And they talk about the ISM. The ISM is a sentiment number. It's what people are feeling at the time. And when everything you see on the news and TV is tariffs and recession, tariffs and recession, this could happen. That would make any business owner hesitant. But that's not going to make them retrench and retreat. But if you ask them what a sentiment at the time is, they go, oh, I'm a little nervous. Oh, that's negative. I ask them, goes below 50. People start screaming recession. Oh, meanwhile, retail sales are released yesterday. They're at an all-time high. So there's a huge disconnect between what people are feeling and thinking could happen and what's actually happening on the ground. Huge disconnect. So, kind of got off on a tangent there. So, so I don't. I, so, as a long-winded answer, way of saying, I don't see oil prices collapsing anytime soon. I just don't. So the Breit Burn scenario, and what triggered Breit Burn, and what happened to Breit Burn, really had to do with the collapse of oil. And we, I don't think we're in that scenario right now. We even had a brief, you know, flirted with some lousy growth in the economy. It's kind of like an industrial recession, industrial recession in 2006. And we didn't really go into recession, but, you know, we were kind of, we were slowing. Growth was really slowing. Um, and you mix those events in and, and, and oil was overpriced and hard to begin with. So. <clears throat> so if I looked at Chesapeake t today to answer the first question, I'd be tempted, I would look hard into it and I would not understand why I was trading at 50 cents a share. Um, I wouldn't jump in with two feet and make a huge investment. You know, I'd buy a chunk and then I'd wait to see how the news flow came out. You know, do they announce a deal? How is Q4 earnings? What happens between now and then? And if that news is positive, okay, there. Again, Lawler, Lawler's done everything he said he's going to do. So again, you go, okay, does he, keep, does he keep accomplishing what he wants to do? Does the company keep doing what it says it's going to do? If that stops happening, right, or changes on us, then, then you got to get worried. 
But until that time happens, there's a plan. There's a roadmap. There's a plan that's not being recognized in public markets. Clearly, that's happening. That's that's happening. Um, but I think, and I think in a lot of things, especially energy, people are in a hide and ask questions later. So, put it this way: <clears throat> if I if I didn't feel like if I watched saw it today, I wouldn't buy it. If I just looked at it for the first time a month ago and finally got through working on it and looked at it. If I wouldn't sit here and say, yeah, I'd buy it today, then I should sell it today. But I, I haven't sold it. I'm not selling it. I think we're going to be in for a real nice rebound. So that's where I am with that. Um, are we going through melting ice cube theory, selling off assets to zero? I don't think so. I think once they sell the Haynesville, I think they're, you know, that's the big one. I mean, they're not even drilling in it. It doesn't make economic sense for them to drill of them when they can take that assets and that money, put it into um, the Texas shale patch, and, and, and be cash flow positive and almost immediately. It just doesn't make economic sense. That's, that's a smart economic decision by a CEO. So then if you need cash, you want to pay off debt, you're not even using this. It's a large asset. Why wouldn't you sell it and get rid of it? Why would you why would put it I guess the question would be why would you keep it? You know, and these are still these are still assets from, you know, the McClendon years that they're still on the books when he was just he was just buying anything he could buy and buying it all with debt. Because oil prices were hundred bucks. 110 bucks at the time. Shit, I think they even 140 at one point. So people were just throwing money at the oil patch. Hey, remember, we, <clears throat> we were still back in peak oil. Still back at peak oil in 2006, 2007, 2008. Now, of course, we're, now we're at the opposite. We're at a permanent glut. Too much oil, not enough demand. It's never, it's never what they say it is. I think, and I did a, couldn't really sleep last night, so I, I did a de long, decent-sized post on it that I think the bears are just completely missing the boat. You know, they're looking at the number of drilled but uncompleted wells, uh, and some of those will, geez, some of those um, wells were drilled several years ago and the advancement in the last couple years in shell technology uh, they're spacing these wells farther and farther and farther apart so some of those drilled and uncompleted wells are never going to get drilled I mean, we see the rig count dropped again this week it's dropping every week The oil companies and the drillers and even the smaller guys are being a lot smarter about what they're doing now. They're not just running around drilling like crazy for revenues. They're recognizing they need cash flow and profits, and they're being smart about it. And if oil goes to 60, 65 bucks, you're not going to see this magic flood of oil come on the market. They are pumping flat out right now. So people don't seem to get. People seem to think that the shale drillers are just sitting there 
waiting for oil to go up so they can blast out more rigs and pump. No. It's, 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 there's been no evidence when oil has gone above 60 that we've seen a significant increase in rigs. They've gone down. I think it's the fifth straight week the rig count's gone down. It's been basically stable for a year. So, yeah, you just think a lot of the a lot of the assumptions the bears are making are wrong, and I think it, it it's nice to see that the media seems to be, um, seems to be re- realizing that at least they're talking to people who have a different opinion on it right now, and that thought process is kind of getting out of there, getting out there, um, which would be nothing but helpful down the road. Because um, once you see, you know, those traders start getting involved and traders start thinking, oh, hey, you know, this is a nice little arbitrage here. With recession, there's a low price. Going to have some of the sp- some su- supply, you know, might start to tail off in the coming years. Or at least flatline. You know, if shells if shells replacing deep water drilling, then you have flat supply, Right. It's it's a negative. It's a it's a, it's a zero plus gain. There's a loser over here in the deep well. There's a winner in the shell patch, but that doesn't mean supply is pumping. What we're seeing now is the shell patch is growing. We still have these legacy deep water well rigs, and as you get depletion, and there's no new ones coming behind it, the big projects that are coming behind it aren't getting done, aren't being capitalized, and that money's being put other places then you don't have that same supply growth. And oil demand, other than large recessionary times, oil demand averages 1% to 2% growth every single year. I'm sorry, it's like a 1% to 3% range. Almost consistently, every decade, that's just how it is. Because it's global demand, not just the U.S. Some countries buy less, some buy more different times, whatever, but that's about what it grows. It's pretty consistent. So, um, let me look real quick. I believe. Whoop, 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 whoop. Hold on. All right, here we go. You got a couple more questions here. There always seems to be some that I almost miss. And some of these are about stuff that we've already talked about, though. So, but I still want to post them just to the person. I think I forgot them. Um, come on, let's go. Oh, I printed it twice. Give me one second, folks. I apologize. Okay. Regarding CHK, is there a possible that a reverse stock put will happen and the price will drop further? Oil price jumped $3, which is about 5.5% in the last two days. CHK only increased 1%, which is 1.8. Why is the market so negative? Well, and they're, not so ne- they're so negative about it because of the, the going concern notice. It just triggers people to freak out. And when it's removed, people pile back in. 
It's just it's just the way it is. Um, is it possibly reverse stock? But there's, I don't know. There's no reason. Any stock split doesn't change the capitalization of the company. It, it, you know, it doesn't. It, it stays the same. You either have twice the amount of shares outstanding or half the amount of shares outstanding. So, you know, I don't, are they, they going to do one? I don't know. I don't think they're in any rush. I don't think they have to. Um, you know, stock splits and stuff like that are really kind of meaningless. The only time it ma- matters is when you're just issuing shares. If you're issuing shares for an acquisition or issuing shares to raise money or whatever, um, you know, that that's when it matters. But otherwise, it doesn't matter will it change i don't know if it'll change the price or not it's possible people sell it off it's also possible people buy it i i, I don't know what to say um cannabis stocks soared as bill to legalize marijuana approved for the last past two days however why iipr keeps dropping I, I don't you know i can't i don't can't answer the questions of of why i don't know why things are dropping i can give you an estimate why they're dropping you know but at the end of the day we're still up 100% year-to-date in IAPR. You know, if, I, if December 31st last year I said IAPR is going to double next year, you would have been like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is incredible. But the problem is it almost tripled, right? <laughs> and then it came back to doubled. I mean, I'm, we're making, I'm making 5% on my dividend. I'm invested capital. There's no reason, you know, there's no reason that um, it should be dropping. It's been in this range. You know, it's been in this $75 to $85 range for a while now. Maybe it's going to stay there till the next earnings come out and blast through 80 and head back to 90 um, You know? Uh, I think if you, you have to look at the differences, some of those marijuana stocks are down 90% from their highs. Down 70% from their highs. And they're rallying, you know, 10%. Well, yeah, okay, but that's nothing. We're up over 100% in this stock, not including dividends. I think you include dividends about 125% since last August. I, 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 I have a hard time getting angry with that. Because I know there's plenty of growth ahead of it. And that stock price will go higher with it. And you're not going to have a cannabis REIT with a 6.5% yield. People are going to buy that stock. Is that When they, people see, you know, dividend investors are going to start buying that stock. I mean, our effective yield at that time will be 10%. We'll be making 10% on our invested capital. Every year, 10% dividends. But, you know, I, I, I find it hard to believe that next year, at this price, when the yield of things about 6 7%, that people are going to buy that stock up to levels to bring it back down to 4% or 5%. I would be shocked if that happened. I'd be shocked. Um, regarding Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac... Why did Mark Calabria extend the recap plan to sometime next year from National Mortgage News? Fannie extends done. They give more market more time to weigh UMBS plan. 
The FHFA has extended the deadline for investor comments and proposal aimed at better lending pooling practices for loans in uniform. The the reason he gave was that because when the original um, when the original um, the the that article doesn't that article wasn't about the recap. So the the. the he hasn't extended the recap release till sometime next year. That was the capital rule till sometime next year. And the reason he did that was because all the comments and plans submitted and ideas um, were based on a 2012 scenario. And he said that um, the, the current law is much different. So a lot of the comments and questions and thoughts that people had were really completely outdated and irrelevant based on the changes and what they've done and what the plans are going forward. So he said he's kind of had to have a new comment period about that. And just extending the deadline for the, the way the Uniform Mortgage-Backed Security Plan, again, that, that really has no, I, I don't think that has any bearing on the recap and release. That's more of a, you know, they've made significant changes to Uniform-Backed Securities in the plan that they have, and they want to make sure that everyone in the market is comfortable with it, understands it, is on board with it, because you don't want to roll out a rule <coughs> and half the mortgage market freaks out or isn't prepared for it or stops lending because of whatever in it. They want to make sure that whatever gets rolled out gets rolled out and there's no disruption to the mortgage market. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's being a good regulator. You know, there's nothing really about that that... Um, you know, we can get too upset about because, you know, if we're being honest, if he rolled out something and it tanked the stock prices, you know, I mean, it, it screwed up the mortgage market, what do you think would happen to the prices of Fannie and Freddie Mae stock? Right? They'd collapse. Because if he can't roll out a new mortgage-backed security plan, how is he going to roll these things out without destroying the housing market? It would be political, it would be a political nightmare. They'd be, they'd be all over him. And even the people who want them put out will be pissed because you just screwed it up. You set this back six months or a year. So they have to get that right, and they have to make sure everyone's on the same page. And that's all he's doing. Just, I, I, don't, I really can't get too upset about that. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not anything to worry about. They can still... They, they can still emerge under a consent decree without the new um, capital, capital requirements out. They can still do it. There's no reason he can't get them out of conservatorship under a consent decree without the capital levels, because that'll be coming soon. And he could say, this is a range that we're going to fall in or whatever. I have seen nothing um, where it says he can't, because the consent decree would basically come out and say, that until they get to uh, required capital levels, they're under consent. And we'll, we'll see what those levels are, and we, we tell you what they are. But I've seen nothing or read nothing that indicates that that, that, that has to come before this consent decree. So I don't, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I know his decision negatively affected the stocks, but I don't think it materially change the timeline or the eventual outcome of what's going to happen. Um, I think that, you know, he's, 
again, he's dotting every I and crossing every T he has to do because what he's going to do is going to be hugely unpopular with Democrats. And, you know, a lot of Republicans aren't going to like it. Now, if <laughs> the irony of all that is, you know, if a Democrat wins the White House and Democrats win Congress and he's doing the same plan and whoever's the president supports it, then Democrats will magically love it and Republicans will magically hate it. That's, that's how Congress works. That's how politics works. Um, we love and we hate based on if our guy's in office or not. But... You know, he just, he's just, he, he can't get it wrong. He's got to get it right. So if he means another two months, then he's, that's what he has to do. So, so I think, um, 442, I think that is all of them. Um, give me one quick second. I, oh, so I have, um, I have the option to do this live now. So I'm gonna do a test run um, next week's next week's Thanksgiving. So probably the week after Thanksgiving, um, I'm gonna do a test run on it, and I'm gonna see, uh, you know, how we have. To, obviously, we'd have to do it at a certain time, and I don't know how we would communicate if it's either through the Podbean app. Uh, you could ask questions or comments or things like that or whatever. So, um, and then it comes down to finding a good time to do it. Whether it's a evening or lunchtime or early morning or whatever it is, um, so I kind of have a feeling that if it's giving you everyone's everyone's going to be doing something when the market's open, I think it might be best to do it um, during the during the uh, during the day. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll do. Every other week, one evening, one lunchtime, or something like that, so that people don't feel left out. But I, you know, I do believe even the live ones uh, will be like replayable and things like that. I don't think you miss. It. I just think that the interaction is different. Uh, you know, if you, you know, you're sending in a question, I'm answering it. You can ask a follow-up question or clarification or something like that. So I want to play around with that because I think that'd be really cool. Um, I always like the interactive things, so I'll. Um, I'll look into that, not next week, but the weekend after, um, we'll do that. Um, if anyone's going to be in Boston, um, December 4th or around that time frame, um, we're doing another, um, cannabis meetup for investors and entrepreneurs and things like that. Uh, the last two have gone really, really well. So if anyone is interested in the space, seriously interested in space, uh, or if you have a cannabis company, you want to put before investors. Um, just send me an email and let me know, and I'll, I'll get you details, and we can see if it worked out. I know a few people have been, and they really liked them, and um, it's it's an exciting thing. So uh, let me know, and uh, I will be back. Hope you all have a safe and happy weekend, and I hope wherever you are, the sun's shining, because it hasn't been in Massachusetts for quite some time. I'll talk to you later.